What's up, my favorite people? Happy inauguration week. This week, we have Lucy Resio from NACI to talk about this historic week, reflecting on the last four years, and talking about what's ahead. I have no updates for you this week because, honestly, Lucy and I covered both of my favorite topics to update you on, how to take care of yourselves during this time and the most current public policy information related to child care. So we're going to dive right in. Enjoy. So we can get started. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Allison. Hi. So um, Lucy and I had a tight hour and your girl, Allison, just spent half of that time uh, talking to my guru about like all the questions I have about my life. And so I'm sorry. So now we're going to fly through all this content real quick. Um, So welcome, Lucy. Um, For those of you that don't know Lucy, Lucy Recio uh, works for the National Association for the Education of Young Children. I'm going to cut and do her bio read at a different time so we can fly through these questions. Hold up, folks. Here is that bio read that I was talking about for our girl Lucy. For more than a decade, Lucy Recio has worked to inform birth to career education policy and legislation with a particular focus on lifting up the voices and experience of those in communities that have been historically marginalized from the systems that affect their lives. A passionate community organizer who recognizes the power of collaborative relationships and partnerships, she works with children, families, educators, community leaders, policymakers, and elected officials at all levels of government to create processes for meaningful constituent engagement and advocate mobilization, which I personally benefit from all the time. Uh, Currently building on this expertise as part of the policy and professional advancement team at the National Association for the Education of Young Children, Lucy creates advocacy and policy engagement opportunities at the national, state, and local levels for NACI's more than 60,000 members and 51 affiliates. Through America for Early Ed, NACI's advocacy mobilization hub, Lucy also leads the organization's electoral advocacy campaign, Our Votes, Their Future, ensuring candidates at all levels and across all political parties understand the importance of high-quality early childhood education and the vital role early childhood educators play in our society while committing to invest in childcare as the public good that it is. A native to the Dominican Republic, but a New Yorker at heart, Lucy enjoys discovering new countries and cultures, losing herself in a good book, upcycling and crafting, and journaling about all of these experiences. Lucy holds a bachelor's degree from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and obtained a master in public administration as a National Urban Fellow through CUNY Baruch College. Uh, Thanks for letting me break into that interview. Let's get back to it. So I'm going to dive right in. Uh, We are talking on January 21st, 2021. Yesterday was the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden and Kamala D. Harris as president and vice president of the United States. So I wanted to talk to Lucy this week specifically uh, to do a little bit of reflecting. So I hope we can start by reflecting on the last four years of the Trump administration and all of the advocacy work that you spearheaded, um, what accomplishments have we as advocates made over the last four years? So first off, thank you so much for having me, Allison. I'm very excited to be here and to be speaking with all of your audience members and the folks who are joining us today. Uh, I think 
first of all, is we need to recognize that the last four years have been particularly challenging for advocates, not only in the early childhood space, but across the spectrum um, because of just the policies that we were seeing coming out of the Trump administration. And while there were significant challenges um, across the board, there were also some really successful accomplishments that we were able to um, in short, went through because of the deep work that advocates have been doing before the last four years and also during the last four years. And I think that it is important for us to think about, okay, we started um, 2016, there is this change in administration. Um, there were already so many existing problems within the childcare sector. So what we know is that historically, Childcare in the United States is unaffordable for most families. There are challenges around accessing high quality early learning for families, and many families find themselves in a childcare desert. There is also this woefully um, low compensation for the early childhood workforce. And so all of those things already were creating a reality that made it challenging for families to be able to access childcare for uh, early childhood educator and childcare providers to continue to stay in the field. And so over the course of the last four years, a lot of our efforts were specifically focused around addressing those needs around affordability, accessibility, and compensation and supports for the workforce. Um, the biggest avenue through which childcare is funded in the United States is through the child care and development block grants. And it is the way in which uh, low-income families access child care by providing states with funding to address affordability and improve quality. And so the child care development block grant was reauthorized in 2014 to better ensure the health and safety of children and support um, stable and continuous child care, as well as improve the quality of child care. But there wasn't any funding additional funding that was provided to help states do so. And so we found ourselves over the last four years in particular, um, really pushing for increased investments in the child care development block grants. And in 2018, in a sweeping bipartisan negotiation, um, Congress passed and the president signed a budget deal that provided an additional $5.8 billion to the child care and development block grant over two years. And so that is a significant win because it was the largest increase in federal child care funding in history. And it also illustrated how, again, through the concerted efforts of advocates across the nation, we were able to lift up child care as a priority that needed to be um, invested in and really elevated within members of Congress and also for the last administration. So while it was difficult, there were many moments of responding, of responding to challenges that came up over the last four years, there were some significant wins. And I know that we'll spend a little bit of time talking about COVID in particular, but that was one of the most substantial wins um, that we were able to see over the course of the last four years. Yeah, and it really highlighted for me um, why my membership at NACI is so important to me. That year that uh, CCDBG was doubled, that was my first uh, public policy forum. We're going to talk a little bit more about public policy forum, um, but I just remember um, 
feeling like I was a part of it a little bit. And that was just something, you know, that I carried with me as, as, as something great that happened over the last four years. And it really kind of like filled my tank to be on the front lines with all of you talking to my Senator and to my representative about why it was so important and um, really to help people working in childcare, our childcare providers, our preschool teachers, really helping bring them to those meetings has really kind of been a highlight for me. So um, yeah, it, it, amongst all of it, that, that felt really amazing. And maybe I started on too high of a note now that I'm like, wait, why isn't every single year like this? So, (laughs) so that was, um, that was a great, um, year one for me for public policy forum, obviously something that, um, happened last year, the coronavirus pandemic has really thrown a wrench in a lot of our progress because the situation became really dire. I mean, we know we were approaching a crisis. We were, we were kind of already in one, but this really brought the childcare industry, um, on the brink of collapse. So can you talk about the work that you were doing at NACI to make sure these provider stories were heard by their uh, members of Congress this year? Well, last year now. Absolutely. And and before I, I delve into that, I, I love that you share the reflection of joining us at Public Policy Forum and, and that high of having that conversation with your congressional delegation and then seeing this victory. I think also one thing that we saw over the course of the last four years in particular was this um, increased desire by members of the early childhood workforce to become engaged in uh, advocacy and policy because they were experiencing so much of the pressure of trying to keep this system afloat with such little resources. And so we did see this significant movement building that has happened over the course of the last four years, um, where more and more providers recognizing that there were so many challenges we were contending with, at least this space, right, their role as early childhood educators, as passionate individuals who are committed to advancing this work, that they could lend their voices, their expertise, and their experiences to have these conversations with members of Congress. And so that um, growing of our um, advocate base, right, of really building up that movement work was instrumental in our response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which, as you mentioned, not only um, through a monkey wrench, but it in so many ways just pushed over the brink uh, providers who were already struggling to survive prior to the pandemic, right? I, I talked earlier about the fact that there is a history of disinvestment in the child care sector because so many providers were struggling to make ends meet, um, given how expe- how um, how expensive child care is, and also the challenges around compensation. But what we saw with the coronavirus pandemic was that many childcare providers were now struggling to keep up with the reality of trying to flatten the curve mm-hmm. and still make their businesses um, viable. So many individuals are not aware that in childcare, childcare providers are paid based on attendance as opposed to enrollment. Historically, and that's more so the case of, uh, across states, most providers are paid, are paid based on the children that are in attendance on any given day. 
with so many stay-at-home orders um, in place in states across the country, there were programs that did not have children to be able to care for or there were programs that had to stay open because they worked with populations where families and parents were considered essential workers. And so programs were not sure how to meet this need, especially given the lack of information that so many of us had at the beginning of the pandemic. And so it was instrumental for NACI to get a better pulse on what is the state of affair Mm-hmm. for the child care sector in this very specific moment in time. And so we initiated that process through a series of surveys, the first of which allowed us to be able to get a better sense of exactly how desperate the uh, situation was for many child care providers. And over the course of 2020, from March 2020 up until December, we were able to release four surveys that really laid a view of where the child care sector is. And what we know is that across the country, child care programs are permanently closing. Mm-hmm. And so the point I made earlier about accessibility, we know that as more and more programs are permanently closing, this is expanding child care deserts across the country, right? Child care deserts being those communities where you don't have access to a child care program. So our surveys were instrumental in getting us the data that we needed to be able to illustrate we are experiencing a catastrophic situation in the child care sector that has only been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, and then that information from the surveys, we were then able to disseminate them uh, to many, many, many avenues from traditional media where they were using our survey data to be able to produce reports for television, for radio, um, newspapers at the national and local level. We were able to get coverage in a way that was unprecedented around childcare and the collapse and impact of the childcare sector. Um, And it was instrumental again to have all of these advocates that for the last four years in particular have been so engaged in this work because they were able to share and contextualize the data through their stories, right? They were able to lift up, okay, this is what it means for me to say that I'm on the brink of closing permanently a program that I have invested in for the last 15, 20, you know, some programs, uh, entire generations. And so, or I'm just a first, you know, a new business owner, and this is what it means for me. And so, it has been really critical for us to be able to use the data from our surveys to continue to lift up the voices and experiences of the child care providers to be able to ensure that members of Congress understand the gravity of what's at hand. And we've done that again through traditional media. We've used a lot of uh, social media as well through campaigns like uh, hashtag save child care and efforts on a weekly basis every single Wednesday to lift up, okay, this is what is happening. Members of Congress you have to take action for immediate stabilization support for child care. Um, we organized a number of congressional briefings, again, that invited the child care providers themselves to be the ones to have that conversation um, and allowed staff members from congressional offices to engage with providers directly. Um, and then finally, I think the last piece that NACI has been instrumental in terms of lifting this up is there, yesterday, last year we saw a historic election that happened. And so while we were committed to ensuring that current city 
ranking um, members of Congress at that time understood the gravity. Also that incoming potential um, members of Congress were aware of the situation. And so through our electoral advocacy work, which we do as part of the Our Votes Their Futures campaign, we were also able to engage with um, elected officials or individuals who were running for elected offices to understand better how they were approaching child care, where, what their platform was for child care, how they were attempting to resolve or aid in saving child care. And so all of those pieces, the surveys, our engagement with the media, our electoral advocacy work, our engagement on social uh, media through Save Child Care and other avenues, and also the traditional panels, briefings, and events, I think really helped lift up just the challenges that were happening. And for us, knowing that we have this network of affiliates of which Rhode Island AYC is one of them, also how we are able to take that data that is national to be able to be very specific for states. So that states can then also use that same data and replicate at a local and state level some of our efforts that we were leading at the national space. Um, so it's been busy. It has been at times heartbreaking and devastating. And at other moments, it also has been really exciting because we saw that over the course of the last year, not a single one uh, relief bill was introduced that did not include child care. And that is in so many ways the direct result of the incredible advocacy that has happened from our field. Yeah, it's it's such amazing work. And this is something and I'm so grateful for you, by the way, and all the work that you and the advocacy team are doing, because sometimes the scope of the crisis is sometimes so overwhelming to me. Um, and I am one. I'm just one of your affiliates, like um, you said, kind of working through some of these really heartbreaking stories. So I guess the question for you is you know, if reflecting it back to people doing advocacy work and also people on the ground kind of going through this really uneasy time, how do you stay positive and motivated while you're, honestly, it's really emotionally taxing to read what's going on. And I can only imagine like experiencing um, how this is on the ground. So how do you stay positive and motivated and forward thinking through all of this? That's a really great question, right? And and I will first I'll say like it is an incredible privilege to be able to do this work on behalf of and in partnership with the childcare sector with so many incredibly dedicated and passionate early childhood educators with individuals like you and the rest of our affiliate networks, right? Continuing to remind myself that I am not alone in this work. Ha- has been especially important and a big anchor for me. Um, you know, it, it has been very challenging. There were periods, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, where I was having daily conversations with childcare providers who were just devastated by the fact that they'd invested so much time, energy, effort into their programs and they were seeing it all disappear right before their eyes, right? There's a lot of emotional toll that that is associated with that. But I have honestly remained anchored by knowing that I'm doing this in community, knowing that I am supported by an incredible network of, of advocates and colleagues and partners who are equally passionate um, about this work and 
personally invested in ensuring that we get this right. Um, and I also would be remiss, you know, if I didn't say that there were moments where I just really had to make sure that I disconnected mm-hmm. and took care of myself. Um, there are a lot of conversations around self-care, especially now that we are in the new year, but it is instrumental as we are doing this type of work in particular around policy and advocacy. And again, in light of how challenging um, the last four years were for us to make sure that we are listening to our internal voice, right? Mm-hmm. There were moments where I really had to commit to myself that I was turning off the news, turning off my phone, just unplugging because my mental health required that. Um, And just like anchoring myself in pockets of daily joy. Um, While 2020 brought so many challenges, there were also really beautiful moments across the board. For me, witnessing uh, childcare providers who historically have not engaged in this work feel that they have have a place in it and that they are supported and doing it and then are embracing this work is a moment it's just it's a testament to how much um, this work matters and how individuals feel aligned to it right so it's important to continue to operate in that space of okay what is that moment of joy what are those instances that I use to anchor myself and for me I'm an eternal optimist um, so there's also that lens that colors my experience but I think it's necessary and important um, community sustains us and so ignoring that you are strengthening that right for me that I continue to strengthen those ties and feel that connection really was instrumental in moving me through um, a lot of the challenges that we experience um, over the course of of this time together. Yes. Uh, Amen to all of that, especially (laughs) to unplugging. Um, I'm a huge fan of setting some time boundaries and saying like, no, I need to like charge my batteries and revisit this um, when I have the capacity to do so. So can we tap the eternal optimist in you um, and talk about what is to come? We had this inauguration yesterday. We're embarking on a new administration. Uh, what are NACI's policy priorities moving forward? Yeah, there's, you know, it's a new administration, new Congress, new opportunity. Um, we have his, we have been over the course of the last year, in particular since the onset of the pandemic, really pushing for at least $50 billion in emergency stabilization funds for childcare. And so we are very pleased with President Biden's relief proposal, which includes uh, $25 billion in a st- for stabilization fund, and then $50 billion in additional emergency funding for the Child Care and Development Block Grant. Um, and so that is something that we continue to push forward. Um, as we move into this new administration and new Congress, uh, we will be focusing on building child care champions in Congress, right, from mm-hmm. reaching out to brand new members to working with representatives and senators who have been supportive of children and families in the past and continuing to support and amplify the work of members of Congress uh, for whom child care is a priority. And I think that um, in addition to the immediate goal of making the case for President Biden's proposals on child care, we always are working to find opportunities to support the child care workforce and improve the quality of available child care. Um, 
while trying to make it more affordable, right? That continues to be that three-legged stool that is often referenced in early childhood education. And so there are a lot of different mechanisms um, that we can move, we can use to be able to move this, these priorities forward. So for the workforce, for example, um, making higher education more attainable and affordable, um, there were a number of different um, changes that happened around the process for applying for financial aid that made it much more simple, or the amount of uh, Pell Grant funding for students was also increase um, for both parents and child care providers as small businesses. Um, tax credits are an avenue that can ease the burden of child care costs for families and help providers keep costs down. Um, and then something that my colleague Erin Merchant has talked about extensively is just that we really need to move the conversation beyond just surviving as part of child care, but really centered around what are the necessary investments, long-term investments to ensure that the child care sector thrives. And so while it's a long process, legislation, right, continues to be one of the most impactful ways to be able to enact this positive change long-term. And so for us, that really continues to be our support of the Child Care for Working Families Act, which was sponsored by Senator Patty Murray, who is now the head of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, um, because it's a great example of legislation that looks at the big picture. It's a long-term solution to um, lowering the costs for childcare for families, increasing support and compensation for the early childhood workforce and overall improving quality of childcare, right? So in many ways, there are some shorter long-term solutions, um, anything from tax credits to this um, making uh, higher learning, more uh, accessible and affordable for families, but then also legislation like the Child Care for Working Families Act that is much more comprehensive and allows us to address those underlying issues that already existed prior to the de devastation of the pandemic, right? So um, I think in short, Allison, we continue to push for the immediate relief that we know is so necessary for the sector, while also thinking about the long-term solutions that address those underlying issues that existed before our sector was so um, negatively hit by the pandemic. Yeah, and I hope that everything you just said gets some people excited. I'm excited and your optimism is wearing off on me. <laughs> so <laughs> how can early childhood educators get involved in this work? So there are two immediate things, right? First of all, it's engagement with uh, affiliates like Rhode Island AUIC. You all are the immediate contact for most of our members. You understand what is happening at the local and state level. You continue to have this robust line of communication with national. And so engaging with your affiliate is critical and important mm -hmm. um, because even though most of the funding for early childhood education comes from the federal government, implementation and what that looks like on the ground happens at the state and local level. And so that, that level of engagement is necessary and important. So definitely if you are not connected to Rhode Island AEYC, or if you're joining us from a different state, if you're not connected to your affiliate there, then by all means, that is one avenue that I highly, highly encourage you to take, um, to look and explore. Becoming an NAYC member is also important. And I think it is not just a 
shameless plug for membership, but it allows us to be able to talk to members of Congress saying we have 60,000 members behind us. We have 60,000 voices that we are elevating in our ask. And um, expanding our membership base allows us to be able to be even stronger in our commitment and also allows us to be able to be responsive to your needs. We are a membership-based organization. And so having you as a member holds us accountable to make sure that your needs, your concerns, um, your priorities are part of the priorities that as an organization we are advocating and fighting for. And finally, there is an opportunity for you to test all of that out through our public policy forum, which this year will be virtual. and it is happening over the course of February 28th and March 1st. It is a wonderful opportunity to be able to dive in uh, to some of these issues, to learn a little bit more about things like the Child Care Development Block Grants, to learn more about the policy opportunities and priorities, to engage directly with your members of Congress, and also to build connection, right? So my point around community, to build connection with other advocates across your state, but also across the country that are as passionate and committed to this work. And we pride ourselves in public policy forum being something that is accessible to anyone, regardless of your level of experience in the federal advocacy world. So if you are um, an emerging leader in this space, or if you are someone who has uh, has many moons of doing this, um, you can find your place at Public Policy Forum. And so definitely, definitely encourage individuals to participate in that and and plan to join us because it is an exciting time. It will be very different, um, like so many things that we have done as of now that it will be virtual. But honestly, I think it it is um, an exciting way to be able to delve into this work and to continue to lift up the priorities that we know will be needed as we transition into this new administration and new Congress. The Hill Day on Public Policy Forum is probably like the highlight of my year every year. I am a little bummed that I don't get to go to one of my favorite cities to kind of do this in person. Um, But I think that if I could describe the experience in one word, it's definitely empowering. So especially after a very, very difficult year, I hope um, that some of our early childhood educators feel a little bit compelled um, to find that voice and kind of have the same experience that I did. I'm having um, one of our preschool teachers from uh, Providence, our capital city, come on, who came last year, who was terrified and then told me it was the, the best experience that she's ever had. So I, I'm, we're going to go through the whole emotional experience with her um, on a different episode. But I wanted to ask Lucy my uh, questions that I've been asking all my January guests. Uh, so the first one is, and we get very existential here. What did, <laughs> what did 2020 teach you? Um, 2020 taught me a number of things. And I think to your question earlier of how do I stay grounded in this work, it's the importance of um, holding space for myself and making sure that that I um, was able to create space for me, right? And, and so I, for me, that felt like if I'm turning off my computer, I took up really broadening my journaling practice. Um, so I have actively journaled for a number of years, but I think that because we are living history in this moment, and especially as a woman of color, 
there is so much work that needs to be done to ensure that we are authoring our own stories. And so I spent a lot of time over the course of 2020 learning to protect that time that I was dedicating to myself, to protect how I was telling the narrative of the experiences I was having um, and how important that was because it allowed me to show up in a full self uh, for my work and also for my loved ones and all the things that I have. So 2020 just taught me to honor myself, to honor my boundaries um, and to honor the spaces that I know fill me. That's great. Um, And what are you leaving in 2020? I am leaving in 2020 all the should have, could have, would have. I think that (laughs) there is a lot of things that we wish, I personally wish I could have done, I would have done, I should have done. But I often talk to people and share with them, give yourself grace and um, a lot of just bandwidth to recognize that we are holding and sitting with so much. And so I, um, I'm leaving behind, like I did as best as I could given all of the, con- given all of the situations. Um, and so that is just one thing that I, I want to make sure, like, let it go. You did as best you could. We were in the middle of a global um, health pandemic, emergency crisis financially, our entire lives were upended. And if you're anything like me, it's important to just say that's done and gone. And now we're moving mm-hmm. on. I, every time I scroll past one of those social media posts, that's like, like, don't be too hard on yourself. Like you're surviving a pandemic. Like this is unprecedented. I'm like, oh yeah. Like giving yourself grace is probably one of my top takeaways too. It's just like, no, we are, we are surviving. And the fact that we're finding an ounce of productivity on top of that is like a huge accomplishment, honestly. Um, so you are my eternal optimist. So what do you hope for in 2021? I hope that in 2021, you know, we can continue to hold on to hope. Uh, we have been bombarded, I think, especially over the course of the last year with so much change, so much collective trauma, so many difficult moments. And it may feel that change is not happening, like positive change is not happening quickly enough. And so there is this desire that I have that we are able to hold space for both the excitement of this new administration, new Congress, new year, the promise of all of that, and also um, the fact that there is a lot of work that is still lies ahead and that we're not discouraged by that, but just that it's just part and process. And so those are the things that I hope for, that we continue to hold on to hope while also feeling excited about the things that lie ahead and the work that needs to be done um, in that space. That is a great note to wrap on. Lucy, thank you so much for your time today. It is always such a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for allowing me some space (laughs) before we started recording. Um, Everything we talked about, get ready for some really fun content, honestly. I was just kind of like bouncing things off of Lucy um, offline. So you'll hear more of that soon. Of course. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. And I am excited about 
this medium and the opportunity to be able to share these stories and to continue hearing from guests who will be joining you um, and the work again that lies ahead for us as we continue to lift up and center uh, early childhood educators and child care providers in this space and also the opportunity and promise that lies ahead as we continue to build on so much that we have accomplished uh, up until this moment in time. Awesome. Thanks again. Of course, my pleasure. By the way, if you are interested in attending the 2021 NACI Public Policy Forum, I want you to hit me up. You can reach out via email at apanzarella at riaeyc.org. That's A-P-A-N-Z-A-R-E-L-L-A at riaeyc.org.